Christ's here. His Holy Spirit is here. We're continuing our study in the book of Revelation. And i got to tell you, these, uh, these chapters we're going to cover today are, are very unpleasant, very unsavory. And uh, if you've ever read the book of Daniel, you know that when he received his visions from God, it, it made him physically ill. I mean, he, there were several times where Daniel was just physically ill. And, uh, and I thank God I haven't been sick. But I want to tell you, ever since we've been studying the end of this tribulation and all this stuff, I, I have been not sleeping well and just having just crazy dreams. And some of it may just be, you know, my own anatomy. But I, I can't help but think that I'm just troubled like Daniel was about these things that are going to happen. These, these things are going to happen, folks. You want to know the future? The future is in the Bible. You don't have to go to a, uh, a psychic or, or some, uh, some soothsayer. If you want to know the future, the future is in the Word of God. And it's going to happen. So we're in chapter 15 today. And I'm just going to pray and then and just jump right into it. So let, pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you for the Word of the living God. With your help today, we're going to attempt to go through these difficult chapters of the Bible. And God, I just pray you'd help me to stay out of the way. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would bless your people. And if there one, might be anybody here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you would draw them to yourself and bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We give you the praise for all that's going to be accomplished today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, so chapter, we, we've been dealing with these interludes here, and I'm going to go ahead and give uh, Adam the microphone in case we, I call on him. I don't know if I'll call on you for, for a while, but just be ready if I need you. So I'll stand by. Um, 15 verse 1, uh, he says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now, something I want you to be mindful of as we go through this, uh, this today, and, uh, and it's going to go in kind of rapid fire once we start the bold judgments, but I want you to be aware of the parallels between the plagues of Egypt uh, in, in the days of Moses and the Exodus. And we've got ten plagues uh, up here, and uh, the first is the, the Nile River turned to blood. The second is the plague of frogs. Now, some of you may not realize this, but the uh, the, the frog in, in Egyptian culture was a, a deity. There was a goddess named Hecate, and supposedly she was a goddess of fertility. And all of these plagues, by the way, they were aimed at the deities of Egypt. So what God was showing was is that he's God and they're not. Uh, the Nile was one of the principal gods of Egypt. They, they worshipped the Nile River. They believed it to be a, the source of life and, and so on. Uh, then you had the plague of gnats. I think the King James says lice. But um, then you had the plague of flies. They had the plague on the livestock. Then uh, there were boils on man and beast. Then there was a plague of hail mixed, uh, mingled with fire. Then there was the plague of the locust that devoured all the green. There, there was nothing green around. Uh, also, there was the plague of darkness for three days. Uh, the scripture says it was a darkness that could be felt. You know, it was a tangible darkness. And then finally, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. Now, uh, this was the ultimate judgment because Pharaoh believed that he was a god. And they worshiped Pharaoh as a god. And what God was showing was, listen, I'm going to show you who's the real god. I'm going to kill your son. And God's son would die on a cross willingly, but he would rise again. And he is the reason we're here today. Amen. So be mindful of that. Be mindful of these parallels also with the uh, 
from the Exodus account. Uh, even though there were plagues on Egypt, the, Egypt uh, uh, the Israelites were spared. They were in Goshen, and, and when all the bad stuff was happening, it didn't happen to the Israelites. Also, the magicians were imitating God's miracles. Okay? So uh, this is something to be mindful of, and we're studying about Babylon uh, on Wednesday night for the next couple of Wednesday nights and next Sunday. And keep in mind that there's, been a, there's always a religious system with every empire. And um, the, the Egyptian pharaoh had his magicians. Nebuchadnezzar had his sorcerers. The Persian emperors uh, ha, had their sorcerers and so forth. Their wise men and soothsayers. And so the magicians were uh, imitating God's uh, miracles to a degree. There were things they couldn't do. Also, pharaoh's heart was hardened, even though he was seeing miracle after miracle. Sometimes he hardened his own heart. Finally, God hardened Pharaoh's heart uh, judicially. Pharaoh pursues after the woman, just like the dragon. Uh, he wanted to kill the, the Israelites, drive them into the, uh, to the Red Sea. Yahweh, uh, that's the Tetragrammaton, that's the name of God, uh, the consonants there. Yahweh parts the Red Sea, and uh, we'll see today a sea of glass mingled with fire. Also, Israel sings the song of Moses. Uh, Adam, would you go to Exodus 15 for me? I just want to read a few, uh, just a, a couple of stanzas from the, uh, the Song of Moses. There's, a, there's another Song of Moses in Deuteronomy uh, 31 and uh, 32. But Exodus 15, and this is after Israel crosses the Red Sea. And it's amazing that their first response was to worship, you know. And I believe worship is, is so important in the life of every believer. We have every reason to come in here and sing to God. Every reason. Uh, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we gather, we have every reason to come in here and say, Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of glory. You're worthy of honor. Hallelujah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, will you just read verses 1 through 5? Just, just to give us a flavor for it. Exodus 15, verses 1 through 5. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His chosen captives are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. I love it. I, I actually tried to sing the Song of Moses this morning in my prayer time. I got my little git fiddle out, little guitar. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but uh, I hope the Lord enjoyed it as much as I did. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, notice the Jewish nature of all this stuff too, you know, the song of Moses and uh, there's a tabernacle and Moses was admonished to make the tabernacle exactly according to the pattern that God showed him. And also uh, at the end of, of Exodus, the glory of God filled the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And the Bible says that Moses was not even able to go in to the tent of meeting because the glory of God uh, covered the tabernacle. And I would, you know... I, I pray for this sometimes, but I think it would scare us to death. I just pray sometimes that God would just fill this sanctuary 
with His glory to such a degree that you and I wouldn't even be able to stand up in here. And do you know if He did that, that's exactly what would happen, <laughs> is you and I would be humbled to the degree we wouldn't even be able to stand in His presence. We would just bow before Him and, and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. All right. So, uh, Revelation 15 Verse 1, he says, I saw another sign. Now, the two previous great signs were the woman and the dragon, but this one, uh, this one is even uh, more so. Note the heptatic structure of the book of Revelation. How many times have we seen seven? Seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and so forth. Now, in verse 1, it says that uh, in them is filled up the wrath of God. In the King James, some of your translations will say it's finished. That's actually a, probably a better translation. Uh, some people have the idea that the wrath of God doesn't begin until the seven bowls, but actually this is the end of the wrath. This is not the beginning of it. This is, the, this is when it's finished. Leviticus 26.21 uh, says, If you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. All right, let's tag team this, Adam. Adam, would you read verse 2 in Revelation 15? I'll let you do the reading and I'll do the commentary, commentating because I'm a commentator. <laughs> and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have had the victory over the beast, over the image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. All right, so we've seen the sea of glass back in chapter 4. But this time the sea of glass is mingled with what? Fire. Uh, it may represent the fiery trial that they've come through. It may represent the fiery trial that's coming on the earth. The anger of the Lord is going to be poured out. Uh, any of those will be appropriate. It could be reminiscent of the Red Sea uh, in, the, in the imagery here. Now notice it says that they got the victory. Now presumably they got here on the sea of glass by dying. They were martyred. But see, their death was not a defeat. Their death was a victory. They, vic they were victorious over the beast because they did not love their lives unto the death. And I want to tell you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, for you to live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> I hate to hear somebody uh, stand up and give a eulogy and, about a believer and say so-and-so lost their battle. No, they didn't. If they're a believer, they won the battle. They won the ultimate victory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And they, they have harps, just like the 24 elders. Okay? If you don't like music, you're going to hate heaven. You're, you're going to hate it. All right, uh, verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Now, Adam's already read the Song of Moses, or at least part of it, so we won't, do, we won't go back over that. But again, the Jewish imagery, the Song of Moses and the Lamb. You know, remember, the Passover Lamb is what precipitated the, uh, the, uh, the Red Sea uh, judgment and all that stuff. Um, notice they're praising Him for His works. That's one thing. But they also praise Him for something else, His ways. And a lot of us praise God for His works. You know, when God does a miracle, we're thankful for that, aren't we? We praise God when He does, uh, He responds in answer to our prayer. But when you really mature in the Lord is when you can praise Him for His ways, you see. And some of His ways, many of His ways, all of His ways perhaps, are past finding out. The, the finite mind cannot understand the ways of God, you know. 
And, and how many of you have come to realize that God often does things in a fashion that, that you don't understand? And in a way that you wouldn't have picked had you been in charge. But God's got a better way. God knows what's best for you. Let me tell you this on the authority of God's Word. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God always has your best interest in mind. He always does. Now, I'm a father, and now I'm a grandfather, two times over. And, and I do the best I can. Uh, I thank God that my kids turned out decent, you know, in spite of me. In spite of me. But I can't say that I always had their best interest in mind. I, th I tried to, but sometimes I'm sure I have my best interest in mind. But God always has our best interest in mind. Always. And notice the focus is on God, not on self. Satan is all about I will, I will, I will. But this is about God. You are worthy. You are the, uh, you are the king. All right, verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Oh, hallelujah. You alone are holy. God is separate. He, he's not like one of us. He's not the man upstairs. He's the king of glory. Every time a man had an encounter with God in the Bible, he was confronted with what John MacArthur calls the trauma of holiness. And I love that phrase. Isaiah says, I'm undone. I'm undone, God. I'm a man of unclean lips. Job meets God. He says, this is the most righteous man in the world of his day. Job meets God and he says, I am abhor myself. I abhor myself. Daniel meets with the Lord and he, he, he's physically ill. John meets with the risen Christ and he falls at his feet as a dead man. Now this uh, particular song is actually coming from the Old Testament. Some of your Bibles will have it in capital letters or in quotes. Jeremiah 10, 7 says, Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to, to, to thee doth it appertain. Among all the wise men of the nations, there is none like unto you. Unto you. Psalm 86, 9. Uh, Adam, why don't you read that for me? Psalm 86, 9. I love this. Psalm 86, verse 9. This liturgy comes from the Psalms and from Jeremiah. If you want to know how to worship God, pick up on these things from the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is an awesome worship book. Look at all the songs of praise, all the titles for Christ, all the, um, the expressions of praise. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Hallelujah. All nations are going to come and bow down and glorify God. Now, the preterist says that everything in the book of Revelation has already happened. Has that ever happened, guys? No. No. The nations are hostile to God, aren't they? For the most part. Okay. Back to Revelation 15. After that I looked, and behold, the temple... I'm sorry, I'm the commentator. I stole your thunder there. Uh, Adam, you read 15.5. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. All right, so again, the Jewish imagery, we're talking about the tabernacle. Notice it's not the temple, but it's the tabernacle. This, that's uh, reminiscent of the Exodus uh, account. And also, this is a, uh, the Holy of Holies. The testimony here refers to the, the law of God. And where was the law of God in the tabernacle? Do you remember? It was in the Ark of the Covenant. 
And where was the Ark of the Covenant? What section of the temple was it in? The Holy of Holies. So here we have a scene here from the Holy of Holies. Okay, verse 6. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chest girded with the golden bands. All right, so we see their clothing, their, their manner of, of life is purity and holiness, even though their mission is a mission of wrath. But they, do not, they don't sink to the level of their enemies, like the earth dwellers. They are, are holy like God. All right, verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of God, the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. All right, so remember the four living creatures from the earlier chapters? Here they are. Uh, one of them gives the, uh, the seven angels. Now the King James says seven vials. Uh, translations vary. Bowl is probably a better translation. It's a, it's a shallow saucer kind of thing, and it's something that could be easily poured out. All right, verse 8 is a very fascinating verse here. Would you read that, Adam? The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So God alone is here in the Holy of Holies. Man's had a lot of access to God prior to this, right? They've been standing before the throne and worshiping him, but now... God goes it alone. And there's a lot, of, a lot of speculation and conjecture about this. We're not told. We're not told why. But I, 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 have, I have my own theory. Um, look with me, if you will, in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18. You got Isaiah, then Jeremiah, then Ezekiel. This is one of the great benefits of the study of Revelation is you get to go all over the Bible. Adam, would you read verse 23? Ezekiel eighteen twenty three. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn away from his ways that, and live? All right, would you go to the end of that chapter and read verse 32? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. You know, some people portray God as this vengeful, cruel person who delights in uh, in punishing people and seeing people suffer. People say, well, how can a loving God let anybody go to hell? I want to tell you, God didn't prepare hell for people. <clears throat> hell was made for the devil and for his angels. That's, that's who it was prepared for. If you go there, you'll go there against God's will. You realize that? Second Peter 3 says, It's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I just imagine here a creator who's infinitely wise, infinitely loving, and infinitely holy. And here he knows he has to do this. 
In order for God to be a righteous and a holy God, He has to punish sin, folks. He has to. Think about the atrocities of Hitler in Nazi Germany. Would God be a righteous God if He didn't punish that? No. What about a child molester or someone who's, who, who rapes an innocent person or murders them, uh, premeditated murder? Would God be righteous if He never judged that? No. He has to judge sin because of His holiness. And deep down we know this. Deep down we know this. The law of God is written on our hearts. It's called a conscience. Paul talks about that in Romans. So God has to punish. But I don't think He delights in it. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great Presbyterian minister, he believes that during this time God Himself weeps, just like Jesus Christ wept over Jerusalem before He left this world. I don't know. It's in the Holy of Holies, and so none of us may dare tread in there. So I'll leave it at that. Um, but God is holy. We're going to go on to the, to the bold judgments now. I want you to be aware again of the structure of all this. You've got six seals and then a pause and then the seventh and then seven, six trumpets and then a pause and then the seventh and then uh, seven bowls and then they're finished. So there's actually 19 judgments. All right, let's go to chapter 16. Verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. All right, so whose voice is this? Who's the only person in the Holy of Holies right now? God, the Father. And he says, go pour out the, 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 the vials, the, the bowls of wrath on the earth. All right, verse 2. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So there's a malignant sore that comes on the beast worshippers. Now Skip Heitzig had an interesting theory, I think David Jeremiah too. It could be that whatever is implanted with uh, the mark of the beast it may malfunction in the human body. Um, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole with that, but it could be some kind of transhuman device that's implanted. Because once it's implanted into a person or the mark is given, they're unredeemable. And so that, there, there's something about that. But, but notice this is targeting the earth dwellers, the beast worshipers. All right, verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and carried every living creature, and, and every living creature in the sea died. All right, just like the Exodus, right? That first plague, God turned the Nile River into blood. So there's historic, but this time it'll be worldwide, uh, a worldwide um, death in the, in the sea. All right, next verse, verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. All right, so unlike the Exodus account, when the Nile River turned to blood, uh, the Bible says that they were digging around trying to get water. They're not able to do that now. Now the fresh water uh, has been affected. All right, verse 5. And heard the angel of the water saying, 
You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and the one who was and is to be, because you have judged these things. All right. Now, why does he talk about the righteousness of God here? Well, think about it. Man's not going to have any way to get a drink of water. No water. And uh, that's, uh, people say, well, how, how is this righteous and holy? Well, God's going to explain that to you in the next, uh, the next verse or so. But uh, God must give a righteous response because of what has been done to his people throughout the ages. And that brings us to verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. I think his, his translation said uh, that's their just due. Some translations will say they are worthy. That's a kind of a play on God's worthiness. God is worthy of praise, holy, uh, righteousness. He's worthy of our uh, adoration. But these guys, they're worthy of having blood to drink. Why? Because they have shed the blood of the prophets and the saints. This is the concept of lex telionis. Let's all say that together. Lex telionis. It's that, and anybody know what that means? All right, an honest man over here. It means a punishment that fits the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Lex telionis. They've killed, uh, they've killed, they've shed blood and said, God says, if you want to do that, I'll give you blood to drink. All right, verse 7. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. This comes from the altar. The altar has consistently been a place where the martyrs, the cry of the martyrs is heard. And so it's only appropriate now that uh, so now the, the, the beast worshipers are going to drink blood because of the, the cry of the martyrs. All right, verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. It's been a hot summer, hasn't it? The guys who preach the religion of climate change have been having a field day. But one of these days, there's going to be some real climate change. And, and, I'm, not, and I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm be, this is terrible. This is a preview of what they're going to have for all eternity. There's been consistent signs involving the sun, the moon, and the stars in these trumpet and seal judgments. Go with me to Luke 21. Luke 21. And I put up these judgments up here so that you can contrast the seals and the trumpets and the, uh, the bowls. Because there's some people that believe that they're all the same. They're just recapitulation as what the theory is called. But they're all different. I hope you can see the difference between the seal and the bowl uh, judgments and the trumpet. Luke 21 Uh, Adam, if you'd read verses uh, 25 and 26. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing from the fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. All right, so we've seen that with uh, seal judgment uh, number six. How do you like my little clicker there? 
Uh, we've seen meteors and asteroids and the trumpet judgments um, blackout, and, and this is no different. So let's go back to uh, Revelation 15 now. Sixteen, I'm sorry. I hope y'all appreciate all the trouble I go to putting these charts together. I didn't copy and paste that. I did it all by myself. <laughs> and the men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed in the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Interesting. Rather than turning to God... They blaspheme. Rather than repenting, uh, they, they choose to blaspheme God. Just like Pharaoh, his heart was hardened. No matter what he saw, it didn't, it didn't change him. Uh, and that's what it is. What we see over and over is that an earth dweller is an earth dweller is an earth dweller. And no matter what they go through, it doesn't change them. Charles Spurgeon said, The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same gospel that melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. All right, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. This is just like the ninth plague in Egypt. The darkness targets the beast and his throne. The only relief they can find is to gnaw their tongues. Can you imagine? That's the only relief. But the Bible says one day people are going to be weeping and wailing, and they're going to be gnashing their teeth for all eternity. And so this is just a preview of that. That's, a, that's an awful thing. All right, verse 11. They blasphemed their God of heaven because of the pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Uh, again, an earth dweller is an earth dweller. Nothing, nothing moves them. All right, verse 12. <laughs> and the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. All right, if you remember... Uh, in the Exodus, God dried up the Red Sea so that the Israelites could go through and the Egyptians would be drowned. Um, there's no logical reason here to interpret Euphrates as anything other than Euphrates. This is, uh, this is the place where life began um, in, the, in the cradle of civilization. Go with me to Genesis. Shouldn't have any trouble finding that, right? I, those of you who were here Wednesday night, you already know this, but I want to, for those of you that weren't here, I want to, I've been, I'm going to be teaching Wednesday night about Babylon is Babylon. That's profound, isn't it? <laughs> that when you see Babylon, you should think Babylon. Don't, don't think Rome. Don't think, uh, don't think Polkton or Peachton. Notice it didn't say that the, that the PD River was dried up so that the, the kings from Rockingham could come march on Peachton. Right? It didn't say that, did it? But I would have just as much license to do that as I would to say that it's any river other than the Euphrates. Amen? Amen. Okay, thank you, Brother Lynn. I appreciate that support. The rest of you. Lex Talionis. That's all I got to say. I forgot. All right. Genesis 2. Uh, Adam, would you read verses 10 through uh, 14? Garden of Eden here.
Now a river went out of Eden to the water of the garden, and from it there parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first was Pishon. It is the one who skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Bedlam and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hadakel, and it is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. All right. Now, is that the PD River or is that the Euphrates River? I believe that's the same one. Go with me to Genesis 15. This is the area of Mesopotamia between the rivers. God appeared to Abraham. He made a covenant with him. In Genesis 15, we find out the covenant. Uh, we read about the covenant that God made. This was a unilateral covenant, by the way. If you remember, Abraham was planning to, to walk between the, the, the animal pieces, and God put him to sleep. He says, you're going to sit this one out, because it's a unilateral covenant, and that's important, because that's what you and I have is a unilateral covenant. The new covenant is not based on what we do for God. It's all based on what he did for us, right? And when God keeps his promises to Abraham, he's going to keep his promise to me too. All right. Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And, and actually, they're all my favorite. <laughs> but I, I just love this so much. Um, God tells him about the borders uh, of the promised land. Uh, Adam, would you read Genesis 15 uh, through the end of the chapter? Genesis 15, 17 through the end of the chapter. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will be given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Pezerites, the, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Ger Gershatites, and the Jezebites. You left out the termites. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all the other items. Parasites. But what I want you to see, am I walking in a hot zone or something? What I want you to see is that the eastern boundary of the promised land is what? The Euphrates River. Okay. Do you know that the, the, the Roman Empire, it had an eastern and a western leg. Guess what the eastern boundary of the Roman Empire was? Euphrates, Babylon. So all of that's uh, coming full circle. Okay. And by the way, the Jews have never possessed all the land that God promised Abraham. And, and all the so-called Palestinian people say, well, this is our land. No, it's not. It's God gave it to the Jewish people. By the way, stop using the term Palestine. That's not, that's not a biblical term at all. It's the land of Israel, not Palestine. All right, back to Rome, uh, Revelation 16, verse 13. And I saw there three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. 
All right, so we've got the frogs, just like Egypt, right? And these, these are demon spirits. And uh, notice the unholy trinity here. You've got the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, the counterfeit uh, trinity. All of these empires use sorcery and witchcraft. And I don't think I can overstate, overstate the importance of this, that the main religion during the tribulation period is going to be uh, astrology and witchcraft and sorcery. Even, even King Saul, remember when the Holy Spirit departed from Saul? What did he do? He sought out a what? A witch. Because he was desperate to know the future. Because he knew his kingdom was crumbling. When, uh, when, when Nebuchadnezzar, when he had his dreams that troubled him, who did he search out? He wanted the wise men, the astrologers, the soothsayers. And that's going to be so heavy in the tribulation period. So Christian, you got no business reading the horoscope. Oh, y'all got quiet on me. You got no business fooling with that stuff. You say, well, I've got a bad temper because I'm a Virgo. No, you're just a jerk. I'm sorry. That, I was totally in the flesh there. God forgive me. But I hear people say, well, I'm, I'm this, you know, I'm a Pisces, I'm a Scorpio. What's your sign? You know, that stuff has its roots in Satanism and the occult. Ouija boards, magic. You know, uh, it's no accident that, that Harry Potter has become such a phenomenon. You know, people fascinated with witchcraft and sorcery. All right. Uh, back to Revelation 16, verse 14. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out of, to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Have you ever wondered, I know I do sometimes, I think, well, how in the world are these people think they're actually going to defeat God? I mean, they're going to come line up in an army to try to defeat God. Well, here's your answer. These demon spirits are going to lie to them. I have been listening. This is some real dated material, some uh, lectures or sermons from Erwin Lutzer. Anybody ever heard of him? Great pastor of Moody, the Moody Church. Well, Erwin Lutzer's German, in case the last name didn't give it away. Uh, he's German, but he did an awesome series about um, Hitler and Nazi Germany. And you can find it on the Internet. I would encourage you to do that. That would be a great, great history lesson for you. And here he is, a German, explaining the Holocaust uh, of Hitler. And, of course, Lutzer's a Christian. But what I was astounded to learn was how involved Hitler was with the occult. He was very involved with uh, satanic occultic mediums and spirit guides and he took all of these psycho uh, psychotropic drugs or whatever hallucinogenic drugs to help him get in a state an altered state and and he would even tell his follow his followers and his close ones would say when he would get up and give a speech that it was almost like another man was talking and indeed i believe it was i believe it was a demon spirit talking through him but uh what what nazi germany did you know back uh, not that long ago, is going to be repeated again, but even worse. So just be mindful of that, that um, the horrible demonic powers. All right, uh, we've gotten to the uh, verse 15 now. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. All right, that's our parenthetical statement. Now, is it for the people living then 
or for us now? And my answer is yes. <laughs> it's it's for, but for both of us. We need to be watchful. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, the Lord says he's coming like a thief. But I'm going to tell you what. He's not coming on the church like a thief. He's not. And I know some of you don't believe it. But Adam's about to prove you wrong. 1 Thessalonians 5. Would you read 1 through 4? But concerning these times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're not in darkness, church. God's not coming on you like a thief. Notice Paul says, you don't need me to write anything to you about times or seasons. Do you, did you catch that? If the church was going through the tribulation period, Paul would have said, okay, here's what's going to happen. The covenant's going to be signed. That's going to start the seven years. Then at the middle point of the seven years, the abomination of desolation. Then 1,260 days from there, a times, times, and a half a time. Then this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But Paul doesn't do any of that, does he? He says, you don't need me to write to you about times and seasons and tribulation events. You know why? Because you ain't going through the tribulation period. Because God's not coming on the church like a thief. Because we're watching, not for Antichrist, I'm looking for Jesus Christ. My goodness. And there's people on the internet that are preaching that the church is going to go through all of this stuff. Shame on you. Shame on you. Have you been paying attention in this? This is the wrath of God being poured out on earth dwellers and beast worshipers. God's not pouring out this venom on his church. That's a shameful thing. Don't preach that stuff. You're robbing people of the blessed hope. The rapture is a comforting doctrine. I still believe in the rapture. You say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. The concept is. Call it the harpazo if you want to. The catching away. That's the Greek word for it. The Latin Vulgate translation called it the rapture. That's where the word rapture comes from. It's from the Latin Vulgate. 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. We who are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet the Lord where? In the air. I'm not meeting him on the earth. That's where the second coming is. Christ is coming to the earth to rule and reign. I'm not meeting him on the earth. I'm meeting him in the air. You say, well, Henry, why would you say that? Well, Jesus told us in the upper room. <laughs> he said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And he says, when I come, I'm going to receive you unto myself. That where I am, where I am, where is Christ? In heaven. Where I am, there you may be also. The church doesn't meet him on the earth. We meet him in the air. Big difference, folks. Keep it straight. 
Can you tell I'm passionate about the subject? And, I, and I've got to be, because the false prophets are everywhere, teaching that we're going to go through the tribulation period. Have you noticed almost all this stuff has to deal with the nation of Israel once you get past chapter 5? All the idioms are Jewish. The temple, the tabernacle, the testimony, the glory, the, the Red Sea, the Song of Moses, all of that stuff. All right. Now, just like the others, remember there was a parenthesis? There's six and a parenthesis. Well, that was your parenthesis. That was a brief one, wasn't it? But ever so slightly, but still maintaining the, uh, the architecture of the book of Revelation. All right, now we get to verse 16. Revelation 16, verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now, almost everybody uses the phrase Armageddon, and they don't know what it means or have any concept. The word is actually a compound. It means the mountain of Megiddo. This is a famous valley uh, where battles were, were fought in the past. Judges uh, 7 is where Gideon defeated the, uh, the Midianites in the valley of Jezreel. All right, so now we get to the seventh bowl, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of the heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Oh, boy. Whose voice does this have to be? It's got to be the Father, right? Because he's the only one in the Holy of Holies at this time. And he says it's done. Does that remind you of anything? On the cross, Jesus said three words in English. It is finished. Now notice this, uh, this bowl was poured out where? On the air. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. All right, verse 18, Revelation 16, 18. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Mm. Amazing. An unprecedented earthquake, unlike anything else. And it's going to change the world's topography. It's going to change the whole topography of the earth. Uh, don't confuse the earthquakes in the book of Revelation. They're different. There's, there's at least three different earthquakes, and so I've got them documented up here. Okay, verse uh, 19. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And the great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. All right, the great city, probably Jerusalem. The Gentile cities fall. And it says Babylon comes in remembrance before God. And I'm going to suggest to you that Babylon means Babylon. It's going to be rebuilt. You say, well, I don't see anything going on in Babylon right now. Southern Iraq doesn't seem like a world capital to me. It doesn't seem like a metropolis. No. Well, before 1948, Israel didn't seem like much of anything either, did it? And that nation was born in a day. The same way Israel came into being in a day, Babylon's going to be rebuilt. Have you ever noticed the city of Dubai? Man-made city. That thing was built in no time flat. The same thing's going to happen with Babylon, I'm convinced. And the world, the United Nothing, the United Nations, they'll get together and they'll fund that whole thing. All right. Verse 20. Then every island fled away and, every, and their mountains were not found. Okay, so again, the, topog the topography of the earth is going to be changed. Now, uh, back to that previous verse, the destruction of Babylon, that's what the next few chapters are going to be about. The mystery of Babylon the Great. That's what the next two chapters are going to be about is the fall of Babylon. Um, 
Go with me to the book of Isaiah. We're almost done here, guys. Isaiah chapter 2. Now, I believe this earthquake is going to change the whole uh, scheme, uh, again, the topography of the earth, just the same way that the flood did in Noah's day. And what the Bible says, that in the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the highest place on earth, the highest peak won't be Kilimanjaro, it won't be K2, it'll be Jerusalem. And I, and I have every idea that that earthquake is what causes that. All right, Isaiah 2, uh, Adam, would you read verse 2? Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Now notice when this happens. Not right now, but when? In the last days. And that's and so in the last days, and I believe this earthquake is probably what causes it to, uh, to come to pass, that the mountain of the Lord's house will be in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. It will be the highest place on planet earth. And all the nations will flow into it. Praise God. Instead of trying to destroy it, they're going to come to worship the Lamb. Amen. All right, back to Revelation 16. Verse 21. And a great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Hmm. Can you imagine? Now, there's various uh, ideas about what the weight of a talent is. Some say 100, some say 50, some say 75. I'm a Yours says 100. 75. Well, here's the deal. Even if it weighed five pounds, it would be awful. <laughs> uh, you say, well, I don't think this will happen. Well, go with me to the book of Joshua. It's interesting that there's historical precedent for all this stuff, really. Now, it's unprecedented in its scope, okay? Instead of being localized, it's globalized. Did I tell you where to go? Joshua. I'm sorry. Go to Joshua. Jo Joshua chapter 10. Now, this is Joshua's long day. This is where he commanded the sun to stand still. And supposedly, even NASA can account for that. Uh, Joshua 10, there's five kings that want to destroy Joshua and the Israelites. How do you think that's going to work out for them? Not good. Uh, Adam, would you read verses 11 through 14? Or 11 through 15, because I want to finish up with, with, with that 15. And it, has, and it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the desert of Beth, Haran, and the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekai. 
and they died. And they were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day, and the Lord delivered up on the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and the moon in the valley of Agilon, so that the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. It is not written in the book of Jashir, so that the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp of Galgal. Joshua returned, and how many of Israel? All Israel. God destroyed their enemies with hail, hailstones. There's an interesting scripture in the book of Job. And I don't know if you can read that font up there or not. but Adam, if you could read that, would you read that off of there? Job 38, verses 22 and 23. Hast thou entered to the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and of war? Amazing. The oldest book of the Bible. And remember, Job's having a conversation with God, or really, he's listening while God's asking him some questions. And God says, do you, do you know about this hail I've got, Job? I've got some hail that's reserved for a special battle, not just for Joshua's day, but for this end time here. Now, interesting, again, this, this idea of lex telionis. Leviticus 24, 16. And Adam, this will be the last thing I ask you to do today. Unless I ask you to do something after service. <laughs> this is the punishment, by the way, for blasphemy. The earth dwellers, three times we're told that they blaspheme God, right? They're gnawing their tongues. They're blaspheming God. They're blaspheming God because of the sores. They're blaspheming God because of the hail. All right, sorry. Thank you. Leviticus twenty four sixteen, And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger, as he that is born in the, the land. When he blasphemeth, the name of the Lord shall be put to death. So the punishment pits the crime. God is stoning the blasphemers that are dwelling on the earth. All right. Now these two chapters were very difficult indeed, weren't they? Horrible. But they pale in comparison to what awaits those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and die without him. The suffering here is going to eventually come to an end. They'll die and go to hell, unfortunately. But God has made the provision for you and I where we don't have to go through this time period and we don't have to go to hell. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sin. He paid the penalty for all the law breaking throughout the world. He took on him the sin of every person. He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And if we'll put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus, just like Jesus said on that cross, it is finished. God's done everything he's ever going to do about forgiving your sin. There's not one sin that can't be forgiven. Because when Jesus died on that cross, he said to die in Greek, and it means paid in full. Your debt and my debt has been paid 
in full. What a tragedy, what a tragedy that Christ has paid the debt for your sin. He's punched your ticket to heaven and it's blood red. What a tragedy for you to meet God without Christ and say, yeah, I know you paid my debt, but I think I could do it my way. What an insult to God. You may be here today. Would you stand? You may be here today. And you didn't plan to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart. And He's been convincing you of your need for a Savior. I don't believe in any accidents. I believe you're here today for a reason. I believe you're listening to this message today for a reason. God wants you to know that you can have eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, There may be some believers here today. You've grown lukewarm and cold in your devotion to God. I want you to just take a moment and think about the horrors of this tribulation period and just thank God that you and I have not been appointed to the wrath of God. That's what the Bible says. You and I have not been appointed to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Him, receive Him today. Believer, if you're lukewarm, come and surrender to God once again and let Him use you. He wants to use you. He's not finished. Would you come? Thank you.